okay, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to take it back. That marriage <laughs> makes us happy, but that's if it's a good marriage. Right, okay. Right. So if it's not a good marriage, that is not going to surpass this unhappiness factor. If and, and I would even venture to say, and we don't have a study on this, but my um, own anecdotal information would be that if you are in an unhappy marriage, this midlife area this midlife time is going to be even more negatively impacted. This week, Dr. Karen Sherman joins us to discuss the new research that is out to explain the U-shaped happiness curve. It's a U-shape, which means there's a dip. And what does that dip mean? Find out. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the brilliant, the original Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi. I always get a kick out of that uh, introduction, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank my, you. My pleasure. Uh, and, and I mean it, too. Um, so Karen is a practicing psychologist and relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Uh, Karen is the author of mindfulness and the art of choice, transform your life. She's also the co-author of marriage magic, find it, keep it and make it last. You can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Uh, today we are going to talk about the happiness curve which is actually a U-shaped curve. And so um, we, we've, I, f- I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. I feel like we have, um, but some new research has come out. And basically when I say a U-shaped curve, meaning you're really happy or at least you have some happiness in your life and then as time goes on, it dips, it dips, it dips, it dips, and finally it reaches a bottom then it starts good, then you start getting happier again and it starts going up and up and up, which is the U-shaped happiness curve. And so... Uh, new research has pinpointed the age at when we are least happy and a professor out of Dartmouth, uh, David Blanche flower, um, looked at an economic study by the national Bureau of economic research, which used data from 132 different countries, including 95 developing and 37 developed nations and found that 47.2 years uh, was the year that, uh, in, in aggregate was the bottom when we were least happy, 47.2 years and the lowest point for developing nations. So highlighting those 37 countries was a little bit older, 48.2 years old. So, uh, with all that big introduction there, Karen, why do you think the late forties number is where we reach our lowest point, uh, at least on average, in terms of happiness. Well, you know, you don't, you're growing up your first 18, 20 years, okay? And then 
in your 20s is when you're sort of figuring out what you want to do with your life. Um, And then the next uh, decade is spent preparing for doing it and getting yourself established as an adult and in whatever career or job you're going to be doing. Um, And then around 30 or so, um, you know, give or take, uh, you're setting up your family and establishing that and, you know, really getting into the groove of life. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes humdrum. It's the same old. Uh, There's not the newness of um, new challenges, new jobs, new marriage, new children. So um, it is really very understandable that at about that time in life, uh, it would start to just not be as exciting and you would not be as happy. Can I give you my uh, marriage research uh, hybrid observation of this? Sure. Of course. Uh, one of the things that we know in marriage that is a death knell of marriage is the lack of novelty. Yes, absolutely. And and that seems to be exactly what you just described is Mm -hmm. this is the point in life where novelty starts to disappear. You're no longer mm-hmm. going through the different processes of school, as you mentioned. You, so you go from elementary school to middle school to high school to college. Then you have multiple relationships in there. Then you have uh, hopefully a stable relationship at some point. You have a new job. You get married. I know I'm repeating a lot of what you just said. Um, and then you're right. And then you hit that like mid to late 30s, early 40s. And then by the time you're in your late 40s, those new things have all disappeared. The novelty of life has disappeared. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so with that, is this really just the same thing that we've always known and we just have previously called it uh, a midlife crisis? I think so. I, I do think that that is exactly what's happening. Now, I want to point out, and I read the study also, and I didn't notice it, that, you know, you listen to this and you see that it's data across 132 countries, mm-hmm. um, and that's a lot of countries, but we don't know exactly how many couples or how many people he actually um, interviewed or got stats on in right. all those countries. Right. Um, so hypothetically, it could only be 95 in the developing and it could only be 37 in the developed. Um, and so then it wouldn't really be quite as impressive. I mean, my guess is that it's more than that. I just wish that they had given us those numbers. I'm trying to Do you remember seeing them. I'm I'm looking I'm trying to look it up right now. Um, so it says averaging across the 257 oh individual countries. Um, but, 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 uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't have access to the actual uh, 250. Uh, no. I don't see the actual nope, number of right? people. I mean, I do think it's impressive that it is across so many different countries, meaning different cultures. And I do think that, you know, it's both developed countries and developing countries. Um, so I do think that that's impressive, that regardless of uh, the socioeconomics, meaning the developed versus right. developing, and across the different cultures, that the findings are the same. I do think that's impressive. I just wish he'd also given us 
the number of people that he had uh, right. actually uh, studied. But yes, I do think it's basically you know what we know of as a midlife crisis. Yeah. And there's other um, there's something else that I read that said midlife crisis could go anywhere from like 40 to 59. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a big expanse that's considered midlife. Right. Well, it's. Um, I, I was just going to say, based on the number thing, I, I feel like it's safe to assume that the the baseline, the actual, the absolute minimum number of people in this study would be 132, based on the various countries. Correct. That it mentions. Um, Correct. And one of the things about the midlife thing that I uh, to point out um, would also be the empty nest part of what we know happens uh, around this age range. I think. Um, I'd have to do a little math, but I th- it's, you know, to your point about up to 59, so that would encompass, you know, some empty nesting. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think that that's an interesting point that you're raising about empty nest, because as we've talked about before, very often, if a couple devotes themselves to their children and does not continue to do things to keep their marriage strong, when the children leave, they turn around and they have really no sense of connection between the two of them. And so if that, in fact, is the case, that is going to make this time period a more unhappy time because they're their purpose in life, so to speak, their children have left the home and they're not really connected to their spouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so know, that would add to it. Yeah. Yeah. And the developing countries thing I thought was a little bit interesting too. Um, and, and the fact that, uh, it's, you're a little bit older when the U shape mm-hmm. curve hits you. And I kind of took from that is as we know, in like a developing country, you get to grow up a little bit slower. Um, everything gets shifted a little bit. You stay in school a little bit longer. You get a real job a little bit later. You get married a little bit later. And so, it's, wait, wait, Steve, are you saying developing or developed? Developed. I'm sorry, developed. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, if if all if the if the process of life is shifted a smidge a little bit further along, it would make sense that the the dip that you would experience would happen just a little bit later. Yes. At least that's yes. my read on it. Um, I agree. Yep. One of the things that I thought was interesting, though, which you know didn't really surprise me, but I thought it was interesting that they noted it, uh, was that uh, m- making us more happy over the long run is marriage. Do mm-hmm. uh, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that in general, we know... <sighs> Okay, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to take it back. That marriage (laughs) makes us happy, but that's if it's a good marriage. Okay, so if it's not a good marriage, that is not going to surpass this unhappiness factor. If and and I would even venture to say, and we don't have a study on this, but my um, own anecdotal information would be that if you are in an unhappy marriage, this midlife area this midlife time is going to be even more negatively impacted Mm -hmm. because you're feeling that your marriage is not good in addition to everything else. You now, you know, there's no more novelty in the factors that we talked about. There's nothing to look forward to. And to boot, you don't even have a good marriage. So I think if it's a good marriage, absolutely, it's going to make things better. But and I, and I think that probably an okay enough marriage is going to help this concern 
um, over people who are not married. But I think that if you're in an unhappy marriage, that's going to add to the problem. Right, right. No, that makes sense because not only do you have all the other things that you just mentioned, but you would, you would feel stuck. Mm-hmm. And and or and if you didn't feel stuck, you would be anticipating the inevitable end of what you thought was going to be happily ever after. So, yeah, and that may be one of the reasons why a lot of couples, um, you know, we know that couples many times waited out until children are off to college. Mm-hmm. But that may be just around the same time frame. So it may have something to do with, you know, they were in this midlife crisis anyway. Um, And not just the idea of a midlife crisis, let's go get, you know, a convertible. But in this feeling of, you know, I've lived half my life and it's over. And what have I got to look forward to? And again, and the children are out and we're not feeling connected to each other and there's no reason to stay together anymore. So now might as well be the time that we get divorced. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess looking at this information, um, and the, the plus size plus side of marriage. So outside of making sure you're in a happy marriage, do you have any other ideas on how you can combat this dip in happiness in, in this midlife timeframe? I do. One of the things that um, I learned in the positive psychology course I took with Martin Seligman is that the real crux of what makes people happy is feeling that there is meaning in their life. Now, what has meaning for me may be totally different than what has meaning for you. So that's not significant. What is important, though, is that you feel that you have some meaning in life. So whether it is that you're painting, that you're doing volunteer work, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but that your life has some meaning. And so if you can anticipate that, in fact, now that you have created meaning up until this point by finding a career, starting a family, raising your children. And when all of that is in place, it's time to look for alternate meaning that perhaps is a little bit more self-serving. And I don't mean self-serving in a narcissistic way, but I mean that you're not just creating your family or just uh, earning a living to help support your family. But what I'm saying is that is a little bit more tuned into what has meaning to you. So kind of like now, volunteering the soul. Is, Yeah, vol- volunteering is clearly not self-serving. But I'm saying, yeah, it's serving your soul. That's a good way to put it, Steve. That's a very good way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that if, if you're cognizant of the fact that this is a time in life where you're likely to feel somewhat empty um, and get down, that you ought to start thinking about, okay, what kinds of things can I be involved in that will help me feel like I have purpose or meaning in life? Yeah. You, you know, the, um, the kind of the yin and yang of life here is as we were going through the, the reasons why this dip happens because of this lack of change and novelty, and you've kind of essentially mm-hmm. found yourself in a rut. Well, when you find yourself in that place, that's also because you have become hopefully efficient at what you do. There's no big surprises. Um, 
And therefore, you would have the time and, and hopefully the energy to explore new things. So mm-hmm. this, would, this would is actually lined up to be the perfect time in life to take the painting class, to use your example, or mm-hmm. to join a singing group or to do whatever it is to do the volunteer work that you feel like you've always wanted to do uh, because now you, you do have that time. Maybe the kids have moved out or maybe you've become uh, – your job is so – uh, automatic where you can just kind of like sleep through the day that you do need that stimulation. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, you have, you have, you have that opportunity now to challenge yourself because you're not, no longer exhausted by the afternoon's work. So, um, it's interesting that the, you know, the, the solution almost presents itself with the opportunity that, that you have at that time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. Um, so how might you address this issue? And, and again, the study doesn't specify number of people or couples or anything, at least that I saw. Um, but how might you address this issue if your spouse is going through some sort of ha- happiness or unhappiness dip, um, but you yourself are not? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of talking about things and being able to um, be aware of one another's feelings. And I think that, you know, it's important to validate, um, you know, if one spouse is going through it and the other isn't, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that person um, or that, you know, you're better than your spouse because you're not. Um you know, may just be your turn in a couple of months. But I think it's just a matter of um, hearing the person, um, being there to let them let out what they're feeling, to express it to you without a judgment, and then talking about, you know, what are some things that they might be able to do that would help them to feel a little bit more challenged or have some novelty in their life. Um, But nothing can ever uh, change unless you're aware of it and you address it. So I I think it has to be spoken about. So, yeah. Okay. So communicate first. (laughs) Yeah. I, well, Always. observe, communicate, yes. and then and then address the novelty side that we were just talking about. Trying to find yes. the thing that would potentially, you know, fill fill their soul a little bit with some yes. personal joy. That's great. Um, would it be something where you would propose something as a couple, or do you think it would be more important that they find something? And if it happens to include you, that's great. But if not. Uh, that's more important. I think either or, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for, again, this time of life, couples trying things together, um, and that becomes, you know, fun or novel or different because you're both trying a new activity. Uh, let's say both decide to try, uh, ballroom dancing, Mm -hmm. uh, or you both decide to try, you know, golfing or whatever. So, um, that's, you know, a nice thing that you can both try together. On the other hand, if, uh, one of you wants to try something and the other one is just not into it, I think it would be great to be a cheerleader and say, go ahead, you know, and then ask about it and share in it in that form. So I don't think it necessarily has to be that, you know, both of you do do it together that you feel like you're joined at the hip. You know, that's actually a really great point um, of the, if you're not into it, becoming a cheerleader and then 
furthermore being inquisitive about it because I think mm-hmm. that will help the the person um, feel free to continue to engage in it because mm-hmm. it's, it's one thing to like oh I'm gonna go do this dance class or I'm going to, whatever it might be. And your spouse then makes you feel guilty for doing something for yourself. Yeah. So yeah. I think that was a really good point that you brought up. Thank um, you. You're welcome. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to add before? We I this up? did have an additional yeah. thought. Excellent. I was thinking, wouldn't it be interesting to do this study again in let's say 20 years because there is a definite difference in the patterns of people who are about 20, 30 years younger in that they do a lot of change easily. Mm. And by my best example of that is people of my generation, you took a job and you stayed in that job for 30 years. Mm-hmm. The, the people today who are about 35, 40 years old, uh, a little bit younger, they had no issue moving from job to job and always um, taking opportunities. There's no fear. As a matter of fact, it's almost expected that they will move from job to job. Now, that could be, um, that could come out with one of two consequences. That because they are so accustomed to change that the midlife is really going to hit them hard, Uh or it could be that because they are so accustomed to creating change for themselves that they just automatically go into that regardless of midlife. I have no, I really have no conjecture about which way it would go, but I do think it will be fascinating to see if there will be a difference in the people who are about 40 now as to what happens yeah. when they hit midlife. I, I would love to see that as well. Um, it's interesting because I kind of have a slightly different take on it. Um, okay. I... I don't know if, okay, so I do feel like there is a, a, some certain level of, I don't know if comfort level is the right thing to say. It's an, it's an understanding, I think, for mm-hmm. the younger generation because they haven't ha- been afforded the opportunity of stability. Um, okay. Because you had the dot-com crash, you had the great recession. It's not like people were in these jobs and then they, I mean, yes, a lot of them are bouncing around, but I think they are bouncing around because they've seen, because the economy that grew up in hasn't had the stability of basically from the thirties all the way through to the eighties and nineties. So it's slightly out of necessity. Um, and part of me and, and, and I bring all this up because we also know that, um, suicide rates are up. Mm hmm. And which makes me think like, well, maybe they're not as comfortable with it because there is so much insecurity. And then you heap on all the other things that are going on in the world. Um, I like part of me. So this is the thing that's going on in my brain. And this might be insight into me more than what I'm about to say. Um, When I think about it, I think about uh, the Hulk. (laughs) Yes. uh, When they, when they ask him like, how do you, like, how do you keep 
like keep yourself calm all the time. And mm-hmm. his reply is something to the effect is like, no, I'm, I'm, what I do is like, I'm always freaking out. Um, and that's how I'm able to maintain this is because it's not because I'm always calm. It's because I'm always freaking out. And, and I kind of feel like maybe that's where this generation is. Mm. And so there is no big U shape. It's more of like a dip mm. because they're the, the happiness might not be a side. Like, I don't know. Um, I do think your, your initial point though, I would love to see a follow up on this. Mm-hmm. For that generation, because I do think things are different for sure. I Mm -hmm. just don't know why. Um, That was all my speculation about it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, we do know that different cohort groups, uh, you know, people who are of the same age in time do react to similar situations differently because of the backdrop of what's going on in, in culture. So it will be interesting. Right. You'll have, you'll have to send me vibes, uh, in the afterlife. (laughs) I don't know if I'll be around to see it. Uh, you have plenty of time, plenty of time. Um, so yes, we will check this out in 30 years. Um, okay. So with that, we will wrap it up. Thank you so much, Karen. This was fun as always. And your insights, uh, were brilliant as always. So thank you very much for your time and look forward, forward to doing this again very soon. And with that, uh, I want to remind you that you've been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist and relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. She is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life, the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. Uh, You can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. You can, of course, find it on our website, hitchedmag.com. And uh, yeah, check, check out the website because not only can you find the archive of all of our episodes, all the podcast episodes, hundreds, uh, hundreds and hundreds of episodes, but we have thousands and thousands of articles and we have a great little newsletter that goes out weekly to keep you up to date on all the latest information that we put out there. So hopefully you check that out as well. And with that, we are going to wrap it up. So until next time, take care, everybody. We're on top of the world Each other's eyes, we know that.